young woman at the beach is approached by a little boy who says, um, I've been watching you. Are you a Christian? And she says, yes, I am. He said, are you a church-going Christian? She said, yeah, I'm a church-going Christian. He said, Do you, are you, uh, you go to Sunday night church and Sunday school? She said, yes, I'm a Sunday school teacher. He said, are you a tithing Christian? She said, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, good. I want you to hold my ice cream money while I go swimming. <laughs> want somebody trustworthy. Jesus wants trustworthy followers, and we're going to talk about that. Our text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And we're in a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. This was a series, this was a message that Jesus preached on the western slopes of the, the western shore of the uh, Sea of Galilee on a place perhaps called the, a place called the Horns of Hatton. An elevation overlooking the beautiful uh, water with a plain falling away. And Jesus teaching at times in this very same message was it, it was always clear and compelling and convicting. And sometimes it was tender and other times it was very direct and and uh, and exposing the perversions of uh, the law in particular. I don't know uh, how this has been for you, but for me, this. Uh, series of messages has been like Jesus plowing up parts of my soul every week. Every single week, of course, I spend longer on this than you do. It's like he does the work inside me first then before I, I come and I talk to you. And in every case, I just feel like the soil of my heart has just been completely turned over and, and exposed. And that's really true when it comes to this section. We're going to deal with this in, in this uh, passage in, in, uh, to have to, as an aid to our understanding in, in four, four sections. I'll repeat them. But number one, what they've been taught. Jesus, again, for the uh, fourth of six times, is going to say, using this formula, you've heard it's been said, but I say to you. So he, verse 33, he's going to say what they've been taught. Second, verses 34 through 36, what he wanted them to stop doing. There's something he wanted that they were doing. He wanted them to stop doing in verse 37. The first part, something that they weren't doing. He wanted them to start doing. So first, what they'd been taught. Second, what he wanted them to stop doing. Third, what he wanted them to start doing. And fourth, what happens if they don't do what he said? And that's the last part of verse 37. Let's read the text uh, this morning. Matthew chapter five. In verses 33 through 37, can I ask you this morning in a special way of showing reverence for God's word to stand with me, would you? Jesus said again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth. For it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, 
No. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Lord Jesus, help us to make clear today to our our own souls and in this time and for our church, your your truth, your word in Jesus name. Amen. Be seated, please. First, what they had been taught, what they've been taught and they had been taught that they should not swear falsely. Two, two words are use oath and, and swear. It's pr- making a promise in the sight of God. It's calling on God to witness a promise that you make. Now, they had been taught not to not swear or not make oaths because a part of true religion is being inspired to make promises before a holy God. But they had been taught not to violate those oaths that they had made. Leviticus 19 and verse 12. Let me read four passages to give you an example. Examples from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19:12. You shall not swear by, nine, by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord our God. Don't swear falsely. Don't profane God's name. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, another example. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. It would be a sin to you. In other words, go ahead and make a vow, but make a vow carefully. And when you do make a vow and you make an oath, you make a promise, and you call on God a witness, you want to keep that vow, that promise. Now, you're going to notice that these last three really tie together very much so the matter of um, marital faithfulness and, and adultery and then the matter of divorce and and remarriage and then the matter of keeping your promises or, or breaking your promises. You can see that they are tied together. Deuteronomy 23, 23, that which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord, your God, what you have promised from your mouth. In other words, in the Old Testament, they were taught to do this. You, they were taught, make vows to God, but when you make vows, keep them. Make promises, but when you make promises, keep them. And especially when you call upon God as a witness, it's a serious matter. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5 is the passage I referred to at the beginning of our service today. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Now, that's pretty clear-cut teaching. That's what they were taught. But they had a way of kind of um, writing little caveats into the contract, little uh, exception clauses. They had, they, dis, they, they had developed a kind of a slick, kind of an oily, kind of a dishonest way of being able to say, I kept the law, but I didn't really keep the law. In, in, in other words, um, it, it's a little bit like on the playground. It's been a long time for some of you since you were on the playground, and you may not be able to remember back that far. But uh, some of us that are younger will remember that the kids used to say, you know, I promise, but my fingers were crossed. Remember that? Yeah, I promise, but who said I still do that? Glad you're here today. Chris, you're going to need this message, okay? It's good you're on the aisle. It'll be easy to come forward at the end. Yeah. I, 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 I promise my finger would cross. It's precisely what they were doing. They, they were, um, many verbal contracts were made, and they were saying, yeah, I, I, I swore, but I didn't swear by the right thing, so it really wasn't a promise. And, and Jesus was going to expose this and what he wanted them to stop doing. He wanted them to stop doing that. Listen, to verses 34 uh, through uh, 36 there. Um, 
I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black or white. What he wanted them to stop doing was being dishonest and using God's name and things that belong to God to be dishonest. I'm watching Christian television. Don't do this much. Don't, for some reason, get this particular uh, program on my TV, but I was out of town Twice I happened to see the same charlatan speaking on the TBN uh, program, and he was trying to raise money. And here's what he was saying. He's saying, I bind myself to an oath before God as the Holy Spirit is my witness. I've been inspired to tell you that one of you out there is a millionaire, and God is telling me to tell you to send me $100,000. He literally said that. Now, that is, that is blasphemy. That's just not pleasing to the Lord. That's the lunatic fringe of the charismatic movement. And in case you are feeling all smug because you're not charismatic, we have a lunatic fringe in the Baptist group, too. I wish that he wasn't. Uh, Fred Phelps and his ugly, mean-spirited wife and kids. Have you seen them? Got protection from the U.S. Supreme Court this week so that they could spew out just horrible hate speech against people who have whose families have sacrificed loved ones to defend our nation. And they're Baptists. They call themselves Baptists wherever they're interviewed on TV. Fred Phelps. He's continually saying, God says this, God says that, God. It's blasphemy. It's, it's taking the name of God, which is high and revered and holy and to be esteemed, and dragging it down for your perverted ideas. There's different versions of this. Jesus is not, this isn't the only time Jesus is going after this. In Matthew 23, he gets way up to speed. In verses 16 through 22, he, he pronounces a curse on the Pharisees. Woe to you, you blind guides. This is Matthew 23:16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For He's kind of indirect in his speech here, isn't he? You fools. I was being facetious. He's extremely direct. He's calling them fools. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. For whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Pretty, pretty direct speech, these passages, they obviously, they go together. Now, the question that naturally comes up if you're studying this is this. In the Old Testament, they were taught to swear or, or take oaths or call upon God to witness them when they make a promise in, in important occasions. And are we still to do that? Or is Jesus saying we're never to do that again? Now, I believe, I'm going to give you five reasons why I believe that Jesus is not saying that there is never occasion that you are consciously call upon God to witness what you're saying and you're serious about it. Let me give you five reasons. An example would be in Mary, in Luke 1 and 
verse 73, is talking about how God swore an oath to Abraham. And she's praising him because of that. Because God took oaths. Five reasons. One, because God took oaths. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10 says, And when the Lord your God brings you from the land that, you swore, that He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with the great good cities you did not build, all the time we're going back to the Old Testament going, remember that God swore, God promised. The title of my message today is Good Swearing and Bad Swearing. There's good swearing and bad swearing. God himself swears by his own name. He made promises. The Bible is full of it. The very storyline of the Bible is that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, never-to-break-the-covenant God. So God took oaths. That's reason number one. Reason number two, God commanded us to take oaths at times, too. In the law, Deuteronomy 6, number 13 says... It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Third reason, because the Bible's full of people who make vows and oaths and covenants that were commended by God and that were pleasing to God. I won't give you examples. You can think of them yourself. I Maybe just one example that just pops in my mind was would be uh, there between Ruth and Boaz. Pleasing to the Lord that He made an oath before God to her publicly in the city gates. And most of you have done that. Those of you who are married, you know that you, you called your family and her family forward and you divided them and you walked between them. It was covenantal kind of behavior. And you said, as God is my witness, this is the promise that I'm making. And I'm saying that Jesus wasn't saying that that was wrong to do. A third, a fourth reason is because Jesus allowed himself to be bound uh, by an oath or bound to an oath. In Matthew 26, 63, he's in court. Jesus remains silent. The high priest says to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus didn't say, you have no right to do that. Jesus said, truly, I say. Frequently, Jesus would say, truly, truly, verily, verily. In other words, Using language to communicate that you're serious and that you're honest, Jesus is not against that. It just should be done very, very carefully and very, very wisely conscious that God is present. The fifth reason is because Paul uttered oaths and he made vows a number of times in the New Testament. Romans 9.1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. By the way, the difference with the guy on TBN and the Apostle Paul is the guy on TBN not inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though he said he was. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit says that he is. And so one was, was blasphemous language. Be really careful when you say, God told me this and God told me that. Always qualify that, unless you're quoting the Bible. Always qualify. You know, if you've got somebody that's always saying, well, God told me to go here and God told me. Don't talk that way. You don't know that. Why don't, you just, why don't you just qualify that by saying, I feel that God directed me to do that. It's really a good idea for you to be really careful what you blame on God. God said to say this. God said, God gets blamed for a lot of really foolish, nasty nonsense that people are doing. Don't do that. That's taking God's name in vain. That's not showing proper reverence for God. Don't talk like that. So we have here uh, Paul, though, saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty serious language. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 1.23, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I call God to witness, Paul's saying. 
Galatians 1.20 does it again. Now concerning the things I write you indeed before God, I do not lie. If you're going to say before the Lord, you need to mean that and be serious. It's a serious matter. Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you in the affection of Christ. I love you so much. God is my witness. He knows how much I love you. So you see how Paul's frequently saying this? Five reasons there. It's interesting. Jesus' brother James repeats what Jesus says in James 5.12. And he says, above all, my brethren, don't swear by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Lest you fall into judgment. Don't swear by earth. It is God's footstool. So I believe what Jesus is saying here is don't play this slick word game that these Pharisees are playing. It'd be better for you in your common conversation just to say yes and no and just be an honest, straightforward person, a trustworthy person. And then in, on occasions before God, when you have an occasion before God and a rare and unusual occasion before God, it is, I don't believe, illegitimate, but one should be very, very careful about calling God to witness about what you're saying. Now, to me, this is where the text gets poetic and beautiful. If you're not careful, you can read the Bible so much and you can be so familiar with it that it loses its poetic beauty to you. And to be very honest with you, I was two or three days into my study before this passage hit me and moved me to tears when I saw the kind of the cadence of the, of the po- poetry of the prose here in Jesus' speech. He says four different things you shouldn't swear by. And why? Just it's a very beautiful part of this. Let's read it again for the third time. I swear, I, I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. He says, don't, don't swear by heaven. You're, you're saying, I'm not swearing by God, I'm swearing by heaven. He's like, heaven is God's throne. You say, well, I'm not swearing by God, I'm swearing by earth. It's, earth is God's footstool. So I'm not swearing by God. I'm swearing by Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So I'm not swearing by God. I'm swearing by my head. Your head isn't your own. You can't make one hair white or black. You're probably thinking this is not a commentary on that industry we all appreciate of turning people's hair different colors. That's a good industry. We don't want to chase any industries out of this part of our state. Jesus is not making a commentary on whether or not you can make your hair a different color. I say, go ahead and make your hair a different color. Spend your money on that. People's living depends on it. But he says, your head is under the providence of God. Your head is under the sovereignty of God. Whether you have hair, don't have hair, have black hair, have white hair, that's ultimately God's. Your head is not your own. Heaven is God's. Earth is God's. Jerusalem is God's. Your head is God's. So don't say, when you say, I swear by my head, you're not swearing before God because your head is God's. I think it's a very beautiful way that Jesus says that everything is His. He's absolute sovereign over everything. It's good for us to remember that. And He's a witness to every promise and He weighs every word. And since that's true, we should not speak lightly of God. We shouldn't play deceptive word games to mask our dishonesty. And we shouldn't invoke the name or the things of God in order to deceive people or milk money out of people. That's not right. This is what Jesus is talking about. Another third thing, what does he want them to do instead? In verse 37, he just, it's very simple. He says, just do what you said. Just say yes or say no and be straight up honest kind of a person. Be the kind of person when you say yes, it means yes. You say no, it means no. And everybody knows that. Proverbs 
These are some passages about the importance of what we talk about. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat of its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in, in Proverbs 20, 12 and verse 22, it says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. I, I, I remember one time I was called to pastor church in Ohio, a little burg in Ohio. And I was going to call them on Tuesday and tell the pulpit committee whether I was going to accept the call from the church or decline it. And I had every intention of accepting it. I was very excited about it. It was in 1987. It was April 20th, 1987. And uh, they were so sweet to me. You know, they voted for me and they were looking for me to come and I was looking forward to going and it was going to call him on Tuesday. I told him, I'll call you on Tuesday. But I was sort of enthused, so I called him on Monday. And I remember calling him and saying, I, I accept the call to church. And they were all happy about that. And then a little bit later that day, I got another phone call. And the phone call was from Pastor Whiteford, Larry Whiteford, who I worked under at Focus and Park Baptist in Niles, Michigan. And Pastor Whiteford said, Brother Pierpont, he said, I want you to know that I've resigned the church and I want to appoint you to be the next pastor. That's the way he said it. I was like, serious? That was a, quite an honor. It's not really the way Baptist polity is supposed to work, but that'll be a message for another day. But he was the founding pastor and he said, I want you to follow me. And that was, I was very honored. Pastor Whiteford was very good to me. He gave me a big bunch of his library, so I will love him forever. Maybe someday we'll have him come and sing here. He's got a beautiful Irish tenor voice. And I didn't know what to do. I thought, Dan, now that's interesting. I got a church that called me and another church I could go. And that would be a neat church to go. My grandparents go to that church. And I was a youth pastor there. And what should I do? You know, I don't know. And so I, I have a practice that my dad is living. And so a lot of times I'll, when I have a difficult decision to make, I call my dad. Almost always. Not that he's going to direct me, but he's going to give me counsel. And I'm going to weigh his counsel. So I remember calling my dad on the phone that day and saying, hey, dad, you're not going to believe what happened. My mom and dad love Fulkerson. They've been there a lot. My grandparents were there. So and I was excited about telling him that they're, they're considering me at Fulkerson. But I told him in a while that I would go there. And I go, I'm not really sure what to do. I'll never forget what my dad said in a very clipped, direct speech. He said, Kenny, it's always a good idea to just do what you said you were going to do. I'm like, yeah, but you got to understand. I, I mean, don't you think I could be released from my word and I could be considered over here? And he goes, well, you could. Yeah, you could, you could appeal to that church and you could ask to be released from your word. But I'm just saying, if you're asking me, he said, it's just always a good idea to do what you promised that you would do. And you called and you promised and God knew that. And I would just, if you're asking me, I would do. And that was great counsel. Many, many years later up in Fremont, I was pastoring a, 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 a bunch of people came in and slipped into the back pew and uh, listened to my message and came and asked me to speak to them afterward. It was the folk from Fulkerson, again, many years later, asking me to consider coming to Fulkerson and pastoring the church at Fulkerson. And I met with them, and I was able to give them some counsel, and it was helpful to them. They have a fantastic pastor right now. And I never did go back and probably never will because I'm going to stay here and bore you to tears until... So you make me go away. But I think my dad was right. I think he was saying what Jesus said. Just if you said something, you do it. That's a good policy. Years ago, I, we rented a house. Uh, it was a, a month-to-month rental because the, the house was on the market for sale. And it's all that we could get or 
landlord had died and asked to re- if we could release them from the, his widow asked if we could release them from the lease and we did because of his death and and so we moved into this house on a month-to-month basis and I promised the guy who owned it if it sells we'll leave within 30 days and it did and it just happened to be time right when Wesley was born it was a very difficult time for us to leave and the short version of this story is on the 15th of the month, I got up and I was reading Psalm 15 where it says, He who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. And I had to keep my promise to leave that house. And it meant that we were really in a very difficult situation, which I, my wife has made me promise not to describe to you because it's so embarrassing. Just a difficult situation. We put ourselves into a great hardship because I wanted to, because I felt like God was telling me, You promised you keep your word. But a number of years later, so we had to move to this little house for a while that was just inadequate and the floor was broken and the heater wasn't vented properly and the water was from a cistern. It was just a difficult, difficult time. But because of that, and I'll spare you the big long story, but because of keeping that promise, a number of years later we found ourselves called to a church that had a parsonage that had five bedrooms, three baths, three floors. Beautiful. I didn't even know they had a parsonage when they called me. And here we are sitting there by the fireplace in this parsonage one night having family devotions. Then it reminded, I, re, I reminded the kids, we're here because we, we did what we said we were going to do. God, God is faithful uh, to us. So we should be careful what we say. Jesus said in Matthew 12, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I love this. A good man Now, the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. But an evil man, uh, the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. You want to know if you're good or evil? The tongue is the dipstick of the heart. So you may be sitting here in church with a Bible. You may come from good people. But if you speak evil things, you have an evil heart. The, the good man out of the good treasure's heart brings forth good things. I just suggest that if you think over good things, godly things, and wise things, your heart over the years becomes a treasure of good things. People will want to sit with you and they'll want to talk with you because out of your mouth will come stories and truths and proverbs and sayings of good things. Your heart will be a treasure of good things. Now, what happens if you don't is the fourth and final thing. It's in the last part of verse 37. If we don't stop doing what God, Jesus says stop doing and start doing what Jesus says start doing, what, what happens? Well, the Bible says that's evil. Chuck was in a, my son Chuck over here, he was in an apartment in South Bend. And we talked late at night one night, and we thought it would be good if he came home, but he was in a lease. And, uh, and so I said, well, you know, see if you can appeal, see what happens, and, you know, finish out your lease, and when you get done... Come back home, live with us. And we're looking forward to that. Got a call late in the night, and that night his neighbor's apartment burst in a flame and caught on fire. Now, the other night I was down in a basement by Chuck's dresser, and everything he has smells like smoke because it was near this fire. Anything that's dishonest, anything that's irreverent, any words that don't quite square up, They have the smell of smoke on them. That's why Jesus says anything else is from the evil. Anything but just straight up honest talk and promise keeping is is from the evil. 
That's what he's saying here in verse 37. Whatever is more than these is from the evil or the evil one. It's it's bad. Jesus said that the devil's a, a murderer and a liar in, in John 8:44. You are of your father the devil, he says, and the desires of your father you do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is the liar and the father of it. And the Bible says that you and I have the poison of asps under our tongue. And the Bible says that we're born, and the, the minute that we're born, we go around speaking lies. That's who you are, and that's who I am. So dishonesty is the devil's domain, and we have a bent toward dishonesty. So realizing the evil roots of swearing, or false swearing, that is, and and perverted swearing, they help us understand why we use the term dirty speech. Just a little quick thing I want to add in here. Now, think this for a minute. Why is it we say swear in a good way and swear in a bad way? Are they unrelated or are they related? Uh, I, I want to talk about this. It's very, very important. And we'll do this tonight because I don't have time this morning. I'm asking you all to come back tonight. You say, I don't normally come back on Sunday night. Come back tonight, okay? You want to hear this. important. And I want to talk to you about why it is that we call dirty talk and profane talk swearing. And why it is we say before God and we call God to witness, it's also called swearing. Very important. But let's not lose the heart of what we're talking about this morning. It's just this. Jesus is just saying simply, my followers need to be honest people who say what they are doing. They're, they say yes, and they say no, and they mean it. Years ago, I went to the basic seminar, Bill Gothard's basic seminar. It influenced me profoundly. And I never knew what God was going to do. He's actually going to have me work with Bill Gothard for a number of years. And so that was a pretty neat part of my life. Interesting. But I remember, and some of you remember, too, going down to Cobo Hall to the seminar when God's hand was on it in just a very remarkable way. 10,000 people in Cobo Hall. How many of you attended that? Raise your hand. Yeah. Just quite a thing God was doing. And uh, the first time that I went, my oldest son, Kyle, was probably about a year and a half old, maybe a year old. And as a young dad, I just sat there with my big notebook in my lap and with 10,000 other people. And I had a sense that God was on it. To this day, I'm convinced he was. And God was speaking to my heart through what Bill was talking about. And Bill talked about the importance of keeping your promises, in particular, keeping your promises to your own kids. And he told a story. When he told this story, the story was a little simple story that just went right to my heart. And when he told that story, I sat there as a young man. And I just said to God, God, help me be the kind of dad who always keeps his promises to his kids. I want you to hear that story this morning. said to me that when he was in seventh grade, his father promised to take him on a fishing trip. And he looked forward to that day so much. He... um, mowed some lawns, and with the money, he bought some fishing tackle. And that night before, he was all ready to go on that fishing trip. And he dreamt that night about the the uh, big fish he'd catch. Next morning, he woke up. It was all packed there, ready to go. It was a beautiful, sunny summer morning. And the phone rang. And his father got up and answered the phone. And he heard his father say on the phone, uh, Yes, I, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be right down. The director of a Skid Row mission had called his father and explained that the one who was supposed to be there that day couldn't be there. And so could he come down and take his place? 
without remembering the promise he'd made to his son. He quickly got dressed. He skipped breakfast. He jumped in the car and drove on down to the city. And his son threw himself across the bed. And he could hardly keep back the tears. He was deeply hurt because the day he looked forward to so much would not become a reality. But he was even more hurt because he knew his father wasn't even looking forward to it. Didn't mean that much to his father. Bill went on to say that one of the things that you ought to do is you ought to go home and you ought to get a piece of paper out and you ought to sit down with your kids and you ought to ask them, have I ever made any promises to you and not kept them? I would suggest that you get a piece of paper, at least in your heart, with your wife and you say, have I made promises to you that I didn't keep? And with your kids, and you say, have I made promises to you that I didn't keep? But Jesus is saying more than anything else before our God, who's the king of everything, we should ask our God, are there any promises I've ever made you, God, that I didn't keep? And that will bring you to the foot of the cross. And that will make you thirsty and hungry for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I told you a few weeks ago I'm writing a book so that my children will learn truths and the folk that you that I love very much would learn these truths too. And I want to close this morning by reading a story from this book that was published in one of the chickens soup for the soul books. I wrote it about my grandfather. He was a farmer, a a factory laborer and and a country pastor. He worked hard and lived simply and loved his family. He farmed a small hill farm and raised beef cattle and some grain for feed. In the summer, his grandchildren would come and they would bale hay and fish the pond and eat sweet corn and garden ripe tomatoes. When harvest time came, he would piece together his old one row corn picker and oil it up for the season. And it had seen many seasons. He pulled it behind the little Ford 9N tractor and a wagon behind. It was a noisy contraption. Nothing like these huge modern green monsters you see these days shaving the grain off flat fields and wide gulps. His whole operation was like that, simple, basic. His life was like that, too. He worked hard. He helped others. He kept his promises. And that's what made it so hard one autumn when difficult circumstances closed in on him. He needed to harvest a few acres of his own corn. He also promised to harvest a few ribbons of corn that wound around the hills of a friend's farm. But problems came. First, equipment trouble. Usually he was able to fabricate something or rig the equipment so the job could be done. But but after he'd harvested his own corn, his little corn picker coughed and sputtered and quit. He would have to wait on parts. The factory where where, where he worked had orders to fill and began to require overtime. So he had to leave home before light and arrive home after dark at night. He sat at the kitchen table over a cup of awful coffee while he wondered aloud what to do. His wife said, there's nothing you can do. You just have to tell him your equipment broke down and you can't do it. He thought long on the idea and it didn't set well with him. His friend was depending on him. But if you don't have the equipment, you just can't do it, his wife said. Well, I could do it the way we used to do it. I could harvest it by hand. You don't have time to to do that with overtime and besides, it'll be dark outside. He got up from the table and he walked across the room and he consulted the farmer's almanac. It says here, we're due for a harvest moon this month. If it's clear, that'll give me the light I need to work in the night after I get home. I think I can do it. 
And that's what he did. The weather was cold and clear, and the moon was brilliant. And after work, he made his way to the field, and his wife met him in the truck with dinner and a thermos of more awful coffee. And then he worked through the night, and he kept his word. I know the story well because the farmer was my grandfather. I was named after him. My grandpa worked hard to keep his promises. Sometimes when I'm tempted to cut corners or defer responsibilities, I think of my grandfather out under the harvest moon, bending low and swinging his sharp corn knife. I can hear the thump of the ears of corn hitting the wood of the wagon floor. I can hear the music of geese honking their way across the cold October sky. I can see their silhouette against the harvest moon. And in the dark early hours of the morning, his work is done. He pulls his tired body up into the seat of the old tractor and he starts down the gravel road for home. The sun comes up over the ridge and behind him rows of corn shocks stand at attention and respect for a man who keeps his word.